All right, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this, uh, this time that we can uh, be together in your word. We thank you for the, the great encouragement that your, your word is. We thank you that uh, your word challenges us, uh, that your word uh, it, uh, it breaks us down and builds us up, and that your word uh, helps to uh, purify us. We just thank you for all that you've given us in that way. We thank you for uh, again for the freedom that we have to to gather together. Right now, that uh, as we we look into your word, that um, you would use our your word to uh, to renew our thinking, to to transform our our minds, uh, that we may think as you think. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And um, as I came to this passage, I've spent, uh, I I knew I was going to be preaching for some time, so the interesting thing about this passage is I've had more time to directly apply this passage than I have other times that I have taught. And so what we see here as a prayer has been a, a model of how I've been praying for, for some time now for basically everybody in the congregation. We have the deacons listen. I've been going through the deacons listen. I've been praying in this, this way for everybody in the congregation because I see what Paul has here is a prayer for what is of paramount importance in the life of believers. I was also thinking that from time to time we don't, you don't really know how to, to best pray for one another. I'm, I'm sure some of you have, you know, had that thinking, you know, how can I best pray for um, fellow believers? Uh, how can I best pray for them in the midst of whatever they're going through in their struggles? And I think as we go through this passage, some of that is going to, uh, to be revealed, how we can best uh, pray for one another. And what we have here is, is Paul's prayer uh, for the Ephesian believers and he has a certain uh, point that he's, he's driving at, and we'll get there uh, as we walk through the text. But as, a, as just a way of introduction, uh, I just wanted to get that into your thinking. How do we best pray for one another? Have we ever wondered how we can best pray for one another? And I think within this passage, uh, we have some, uh, some truths that are put forward by Paul, and we see the heart of Paul and how Paul pl- prayed for these people uh, in Ephesus, you know, people that he was with for a long time, people that he spent much time with. Uh, he had great struggles while he was in Ephesus, and this is uh, this is the prayer uh, that he has for those believers. So let me uh, read the text here, and then we will walk our way through it. And again, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. 
Now to him is who now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. So as we walk through this um we'll see four aspects of praying for the the paramount for fellow fellow believers and then at the end there's a there's a doxology that that Paul has and you can Kind of see that in verses uh, 20 and 21. So the first of the, the four aspects that we see in, in Paul's prayer here is Paul's uh, perspective in prayer. And that's in verses um, uh, 14 and 15. And he begins with, uh, for this reason, and that brings us uh, back to in the beginning of chapter 3, where he says, for this reason, and then that's chapter 3, verse 1, and then chapter 2 through chapter 2, or 3, sorry, 3, verse uh, 13, Paul kind of interrupts himself in there. So he says, for this reason, he starts the prayer back in verse 1. Uh, there's an aside where he develops more theology, and then he gets back to his prayer in verse 14. So he kind of uh, interrupts himself there to develop uh, the mystery of the church. So really when he says uh, for this reason, he's going all the way back to chapter 2. And really the, the end of chapter 2, and this starts in uh, verse 19. So if you look at chapter 2 starting in verse 19, this is some of the, the background to where his prayer is being, uh, the foundation of his prayer and where he's driving from and where he's going. Uh, so starting in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So he's, he's building off of, of that where he spends that time talking about God's work in uh, building the church, uh, God's work in, if you go through that passage, God's work in uniting Jews and Gentiles. He's broken down that middle wall of partition. He has made uh, one new man, uh, one new body, uh, one building, and it's a building that he is making so that's where he's going back to because he kind of does a little bit of an interruption to develop those thoughts more, and then he gets back to his prayer. So back in uh, verse 14, we see his perspective in prayer is that uh, Paul bows his knees before the Father. So he comes to the Father with, with humility and with uh, reverence and this is kind of one of those passages that you kind of you kind of cheat and you look down at the end all the time because his doxology he talks a little bit more about the father. So he in this prayer he he sums it all up with now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So when Paul is coming to God with this prayer, he's coming in a way that he is uh has reverence and humility, but he also comes with um, confidence that God hears the prayer and God will answer the prayer because it's a prayer according to the will of God. So you can see that Paul has confidence in, in praying. And if you look at um, chapter 3, 
uh, verse 12, Paul, I think, is kind of uh, jumping off of this idea that he just developed. He says, in whom we have boldness and confidence, uh, confident access through faith in him. So we have access to God. We can be confident in that in Christ. One thing I've noticed as I've I've been reading through Ephesians and studying through Ephesians is that uh, Paul focuses um, a great deal of attention on on the Father. So when he he starts in the beginning of the epistle, he talks about the great works that the Father has done, that the Father has given us all spiritual blessings in Christ. And a lot of the the what he develops is focusing on on God the Father. And so here. He again uh, is directing his prayer to to God the Father. So that's that's really just a, a quick look at that aspect of prayer, and then we'll go through and we'll uh, we'll develop uh, some more as as you see that a lot of what he is praying here has quite a bit of description to to each one of them, and I don't know if anybody has ever like block diagrammed or whatever, but this is kind of one of those sentences that it's very helpful when you do that to see where every piece fits, to see what's describing what, because it really gives you a flow to the the prayer and where every you know clause goes and all the prepositional phrases go. So I, we'll we'll do some of that. Uh, it, it won't be as boring as it just sounded, probably, but we'll we'll do some of that as we go through that we put things where uh, where they belong. So Paul is focusing on uh, prayer here, and again, he has he has confidence that God will answer this prayer because he's praying according to the will of the Father. If you look at the elements in there, those are all things that line up with uh, God's thinking. They're all things that Paul has taught, and as we we'll, as we walk through it, you will see um, you'll see those things develop. So that's the first aspect. His 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 uh, perspective in prayer. The second um, and the next three are really when we get into his his uh, his individual prayer requests. And uh, just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going, um, he the first request is that we he might grant to us to be strengthened. Uh, the second one is that he might uh, that we might be able to comprehend. And the third is that we might be filled, and then he has the the doxology. So now we'll look at that he might grant us to be strengthened. So this is in verses 16 and 17. And he writes this, uh, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. So that's really one one section of of his prayer request. And one thing that that Paul does here is there's there's three there's three times he uses the same construction and it is um it's the in your in in the English translation it might be that. So this is uh this is a, um in in Greek this is henna followed by the subjunctive which is very common. So what he is doing here is he's setting off these these individual uh, clauses that go under his prayer. So you, you have each section, each request that comes under his prayer. So each is set off by uh, that, or I think what helps in my thinking anytime I see this type of clause in my thinking, I 
I have in my thinking in order that. So he's saying in order that, and then he, the request follows the request that he is making, and then all the description with that request. So he does that. Um, he does that uh, three times. So we have three aspects to the those requests, and they all start in that same way, same way. And the subjunctive is used. Um, the subjunctive mood is used in Greek for something that's not. Um, it's it's more of like prob- probability. It's not something that is. It's like you know, like an indicative sentence is like a statement of fact or whatever. Um, it's it's used in in something that is probable. So it's he. That's why in the in the translations it's that that he might, and that's why I use in my outline that he might because he's making a request to God. So there's a pro, there's a there's a it's a probability, and that's just how it's constructed in the Greek. But again, I think he he has confidence that God will will answer. And I, I explain that because that's why the outline is the way that that it is in my notes because he sets each one of these off in a, in that construction so that it's an individual request that's part of his whole prayer. So the first is that he would grant us to be strengthened. And again, that's verses uh, 13, or verse, uh, sorry, chapter 3, uh, 17, and the first part of 16. And he describes in this, uh, he's there's all kinds of uh, detail in here, and he says that he would uh, grant you and one of the first details that he gives us is according to the riches of his glory. So he wants God, he's requesting that God grant us according to the riches of his glory. And I think the, the, one of the ways to think about this is to, is from a, from a human perspective, we think of somebody that has like vast amounts of riches. We would say that they could give us out of their riches as it depletes their riches so they could give us out of their riches. It would still deplete their riches, even if they had uh, great riches. But when he is asking God to give out of his uh, rich glory, he's asking for something to be given out of that which is infinite and cannot be depleted. So when he gives in accordance to that, it's not something that's going to run out. It's not something that's going to be depleted. There's no end to it. It's, It's vast. It's without measure, and so he's he's asking for um, it to be given according to God's uh, rich glory, which is a reflection of His character, right? So this would be according to God's loving kindness, be according to God's holiness, His righteousness, His goodness. I mean, those are all His the riches of His glory, right? It's a reflection of who He is. So when he's asking this, he's asking God to give according to His goodness, His loving kindness, mercy, grace. He's appealing to who God is in this request. Uh, next, we see that uh, we'll get to the, the main request, but we're looking at the, the supporting portions for it first. Uh, next, we see that he wants them to be granted uh, with power uh, through the Spirit. And we've spent some time on this in, in Galatians, right? It's the Spirit that empowers us to walk according to uh, God's Word. Right? If we walk by the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we walk by the Spirit, uh, we bear the fruits of the Spirit. So it is the Spirit that works within us uh, to do that which is according to the Word of God. Uh, the Spirit does not direct us to do things outside of the Word of God. The Spirit directs us to live according to the revealed Word of God, the, the Scriptures that we have. 
So he's asking for the, the Spirit to empower in this way. And then where are we to be strengthened? That's really the, the next phrase in here. We're to be strength, strengthened in the inner man. And, and what is the inner man? What is, what is Paul talking about here when he talks about inner man? And I think once we get an understanding of what he's talking about with the inner man, we can see why he requests that there be a strengthening. So when we think about the inner man, um, think of what Paul writes in Ephesians, or sorry, uh, not Ephesians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He writes this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed by day, day by day. So I'm just, we're, we'll look at a couple of passages that's going to help us understand what the inner man is. And I think if you have the ESV, it says probably inner being. I think that's what ESV might say. Uh, New American Standard and I think the LSB both have inner man. Um, and then Paul writes this in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 to 25. And we're looking at this passage because it's going to help, under, help us develop what this idea of inner man is and what he's talking about and why this inner man needs to be strengthened, why we need, the, why we need to be granted that we be strengthened. And he says this in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 22. For I jo joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who shall free me from this body, uh, sorry, this body, from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So this, this idea of inner man is, it's our, it's our mind, it's our, our thinking, it is, it's who we are. I think that the ESV is saying the inner being, I think is, is a pretty good translation of what the idea is that he's bringing forth. It's, it's who we are. So the prayer request is that we would be strengthened in the inner man. And the way that he constructs it, and to boil down the, the basic request, it's that God would grant you, and he's talking to the Ephesians, to be strengthened. So that's the, that's the basic request. And the strengthening takes place in the inner man. And why do we need this strengthening in the inner man? What is the difficulties that we run into that we would need this strengthening from God? This specifically this strengthening from God through the Holy Spirit at work within us. Why do we need this strengthening? Uh, why is this such an important prayer that Paul is that Paul is putting forward here? And it's as we develop it, you'll see that it is it's a prayer for for sanctification, right? Pro progressive sanctification that they would progress in holiness, that they would progress in. Christ likeness that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. So that's the that's the overall request. That's where he's driving. If you look in chapter four, verse one, you'll see where he's 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 heading. He says, "I therefore, uh, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk w in a manner worthy of your calling, with which you have been called." 
So he's driving at that we walk in a way that is in accordance with their calling, that the, the Ephesians, that they walk in a way in which they have been called. So it's walking according to um, their calling in Christ. And if you look back into chapter 2, right, it's we have been delivered from death to life, right? spiritually dead to spiritual life. By grace you have been saved and that God has created good works that we should walk in, right? There's a, there's a purpose to that, to our calling, to our transformation, and it's to be like Christ. So that's, that's where he's driving in this prayer. It's a prayer for uh, sanctification. It's a prayer for our personal holiness. It's a prayer that we will reflect uh, the Lord Jesus. So we need to be strengthened in the inner man in that way. And again, why do we need to be strengthened? Uh, we need to be strengthened because uh, we're weak. I'm weak. We struggle with sin. Uh, we struggle with things that come up in life. We have anxieties. We feel inadequate. Uh, we have relationship issues. We have weights of responsibility, health situations, whatever it may be. Uh, for me personally, I got annoyed when I had to pay 2.3 times more for oil than I did this time last year. You know, it's all those outer man things that we struggle with uh, that affect our, our inner man. And so we need to be strengthened because we have this, this issue where we're struggling in life, right? We all have this struggle. We all, we all struggle in life. And the struggle is, in our lives, our struggle is to live out the Word of God day by day. And so that's where he's, he's going in this passage. So to be strengthened in the inner man is to be equipped by the Spirit to walk according to the revealed Word of God, right? If we walk in the Spirit, like we've learned in Galatians, like we, if we walk in the Spirit, it, then we are directed in doing things that are according to the Spirit, and against such things there are no law, right? So if we walk in the Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. So we reflect those characteristics that are characteristics of the Lord Jesus, love, joy, peace, you know, those fruits of the Spirit. So the struggle is in the inner man, and the struggle is that we need the empowerment of the Spirit. We need the Spirit to be at work within us so that we obey what God has for us in His Word. And this is, I was thinking about this as I was uh, studying before I came, this is kind of one of those dualities that Tim was talking about this morning, right? It's, we need to be purposeful in our drive to obey what God has revealed for us in His Word. We need to purpose to do that. We need to have our mind set on that. We need to hear the Word with a view of carrying out what the Word says, right? We need to be doers of the Word and not hearers only, but we need the Spirit to help us in directing us in those things. So it's, it's like Tim was talking about this morning, that, that duality that we need the Spirit, but it's, we don't just sit back and let the Spirit do it. We're just like, you know, like, oh, good. No, it's, we have to be purposeful, and we have to be uh, mindful, and we have to be setting our mind on the things of the Scripture. So the strengthening is, is in the inner man, and it is in accordance with obeying the Scriptures. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about just some of the things in the Scriptures where you see there's a, there's a problem presented, and then immediately within that, that text you have 
the other side of how God deals with that problem. And I was thinking of uh, uh, Philippians 4, 4 to 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So you can see the, the, the progression through that when you think about it. We're not to be anxious. So that's a, that's a problem that we can have that is a problem that we can have in our inner man, right? Uh, anxious. If it comes up, we go to God in prayer. We lay the issue before God. And at that point in time, he says, and then the peace that passes understanding, which God provides. Right? So um, the, the certainty of things like that in the scripture that we see is amazing, and we complicate them far beyond how they need to be complicated. Right? If we have anxiety, we bring it to the Lord, and the Lord says that he will indeed give us peace. But you have to, we have to bring it before the Lord. We have to trust in God's word. We have to do what his word says. We can't, we keep on trying to grab things back all the time, right? We try to grab it back and we try to deal with it, but we have to bring it to the Lord. And so that's what we need to be strengthened in. And it's the work of the spirit to strengthen us in the inner man, um, to carry out the things that God has for us in the scriptures, And it's also walking through this this particular type of of these particular types of struggle in life that we can see uh, that Paul dealt with. And going back to a verse that we already looked at, it says in Second uh, Corinthians uh, four uh, sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So just another example of, of what, of what I'm uh, talking about here as we walk through this passage, it is having the, the correct uh, perspective and to be strengthened inwardly by the Spirit, trusting in what God's Word says. Right, that's how the Spirit operates in our life. We have the revealed Word of God, so we have what God thinks on a matter, and so we need to be strengthened to actually persevere in taking God at His Word and living it out. So that's, that's, his, that's his prayer here. Perseverance in taking God at His Word and living accordingly. In verse 17, he gives a purpose uh, for why he is praying in that way. Um, You see in verse uh, 17, a lot of your translations will say, say, so that. So here's the purpose. So his prayer, he's praying uh, purposefully. And within this section of his prayer, he has another purpose of why he's praying in this way. And he's praying that so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And as you, as you read that, you might initially ask, well, why does Christ need to dwell in my heart? Does he not already dwell within believers? So, so what, is he, what is he getting at? What's the, what's the point? What's, what's, he, what's he saying? Why would Christ need to dwell in our hearts? Because as believers, we are, we are temples of the, the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, Christ dwells in us. We are crucified with Christ, right? Paul says, and Christ lives within us. So why? So what is he getting at? And I think what is helpful here is if we look at what what he's saying in reference to this uh, this the word here for for dwell. And the word to to dwell here literally has this idea of uh, come come down to reside. Um, I think MacArthur translates. Yeah, MacArthur translates it this way: to settle down or to be at home. So the idea is so that Christ settles down and He's at home, and He's at home in our hearts. So He's at home in us. So what is He? What is He getting at here? What needs to happen that Christ settle down and is at home within us? So what needs to happen is we need to be strengthened in the inner man, so that Christ can. Uh, reside in us because that's what he's saying. So that Christ, and I think the the idea that that Paul is getting at here is uh, the idea of that if Christ resides in us, which as believers he does, that we want to create. And it's it's hard not to do. It's hard not to explain this with imagery, but we want to make sure that the house that he is coming to is a suitable house, right? It's a suitable place for him to dwell. And how do we make it a suitable place for him to dwell? It is suitable for him to dwell in when there is purity, when we live in accordance to his word, and then it is a place that is comfortable for him to dwell. So we are strengthened in the inner man to obey what God's word says through the power of the spirit, and in this process, it is we become a comfortable place for Christ to dwell. And I think the the overall drive that that Paul has in Ephesians, it's so focused on the church. It's so focused on the body. This is a prayer for the whole body, right? For the for the church, because also as the church gathers, right? Christ is is in the church. The church is His body. So as, as, a, as a corporate idea too, we want to be living in such a way that we are creating a place that is comfortable for Christ to be. So the only way that we can do that is when we live in conformity to how he lived. And we only do that through the word of God and through the spirit working within us to obey and live out what the word of God says. So the idea here is to be strengthened so that we are, in essence, a suitable dwelling place for Christ. And I started to think of an illustration of this, and the only thing I could think of was really that, you know, if you if you're gonna have somebody over your house for supper, you, you tidy up. So you want it to be a place where they are comfortable to come. You don't want it to be a mess. And if we want that same thing if we want that close relationship with Christ, then we walk in accordance to his word. 
um, so that it is a place for him to dwell. And I think that the whole idea of this, this idea of, of dwelling and coming to dwell has to do with uh, our relationship and our unity with Christ. Uh, our relationship and our unity with Christ needs to be of paramount importance to us. Uh, if we love Christ, we want to obey him. We want to follow what it is he, he says, right? If you love me, you keep my commandments. That's what he says. So we want to live according to what he says. And we want to be that place where he resides. So I think there's an idea of, of, of corporate fellowship in this. There's idea of fellowship with God. There's an idea of unity and all of what he's saying here, because that's, that's what the, the, the overall purpose is, is that we walk worthy, right? That as a, as a body of believers, we walk worthy of our calling. I think to, to maybe help uh, pull in some parallel ideas to what he's saying here is there's, there's other parallel, parallel ideas in Scripture. And I, I think I've, just a side note, I think I've noticed this, this lately more than, more than ever, is that there's a lot of concepts in Scriptures that they might not seem like they're talking about the, the same thing because they're, they're phrased so differently. But when you start digging into them, they're really saying the same thing in just a different way and bringing different nuances into it. So I think that's why I wanted to just look at a couple other passages that kind of follow in line with what he's talking about here. So how do we, how do we live in this way? How are we strengthened? How do we walk in accordance to the Spirit? Uh, Romans 6 says this, Consider yourselves dead to sin and do not let sin reign. Right? That's what Paul says in Romans. Uh, Galatians, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Right? If we walk by the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, here in Ephesians, later on, he says, be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians and Colossians, he says, put on the new man. Right? Walk in that newness of life. Uh, in Colossians, he also says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Right? We are to have God's word dwell within us. We are to live according to his word. In James uh, which is one of my favorites, um, be doers of the word and not merely hearers. I think that is, a, that is a passage that I tell myself all the time, right? When we read the word, we are to have a mind to do it. And we need to be strengthened by the spirit uh, to carry that out. So that is the, the, the first portion of his, his prayer request. Um, and just uh, one last description that I, I didn't quite hit on here. Um, he says, "Let Christ that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." Uh, the through faith there. Um, just a couple of verses we could consider in reference to that. Um, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? Again, taking God at His word living according to his word. We believe what God says. Um, and then he, he skipped, that's uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, and he skipped down to verse uh, 6. And he says, Without faith it is impossible to believe, please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Again, faith, uh, taking God at his word and living accordingly. And then in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So, you know, as we get started here, we see that this is a this is a pretty amazing prayer that he is praying. He is praying for uh, the greatest blessing that we as believers can have, and that is to have uh, a strong relationship with Christ and therefore with one another. And we see that that gets developed a little bit more as we as we go down through the passage. So really the, the third aspect of his prayer starts in verse uh, 17 and in to 19. And this is that we might be able to comprehend. So starting in verse 17b, um, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height, uh, length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So that's the second phrase set off by that, that Hannah clause that I was talking about. So this is his second request. It's, it's a second purpose in his prayer. And just as a side note, the, typically this, this Hannah clause has a number of different reasons why it's used. It's used a lot of times for, for purpose. Um, there's a, like a Greek scholar that he has like a, uh, Daniel Wallace, he has like a category that's purpose result. And I, and I think I, I can see, I can see that distinction of purpose result here, right? Cause Paul's praying for the purpose that this was ha- happen with the anticipation that it will result in what he is praying for. So the, the purpose result gets a little bit fuzzy, I think in this, this prayer, but it's because they're so closely linked. Um, so this is the next of his, his prayer that we might be able to comprehend. Um, I think, uh, again, I think we'll start by looking at some of the, the descriptors here. In verse 17, it says that you being rooted and grounded in love, uh, different translations put that in different places where it would fit within the text. Um, I prefer the translation where this rooted and grounded in love fits with this second point so that you may be, you having been rooted and grounded in love may be able. That's, that's kind of how I, I translated it out, and I think that that it works contextually, and I think it works it works works syntactically. You can phrases can float around in the Greek, and sometimes they're hard to put somewhere. But contextually, it works because I think this this next part he's focusing in on this love, this aspect of love. So Paul's using two two images here in verse seventeen to develop this second uh, idea, this second prayer request. And then it's being rooted, so that's a that's an agricultural image. And then uh, grounded is actually architectural image. So rooted uh, obviously is agriculture, root being placed in the ground to grow. And then the grounded is actually the it's used elsewhere to lay a foundation. But because it's in the passive, it's you're been you've been laid on a foundation. And so we are rooted as believers and we are laid on a foundation. And what is that foundation? He says it is love. Um, so the, if you go back into chapter 2, we see that, uh, that we are built up on the foundation of the apostles 
and the prophets, and that Christ himself is the cornerstone. But remember I said he's going back to that, that, that portion of Scripture through this, for this prayer. And that we are rooted in love. So I think the, the idea here, the image that he is painting, painting is that we are, we are rooted in love, and so we are to grow in maturity in love, right? That's what we've been rooted in. And anything that's rooted, that plant, you would expect to grow into maturity. And because we're rooted in love, we grow in maturity in love. And also because we are grounded in love, we are laid on that foundation of love. He expects that the, the picture he's painting in that is that we build an edifice of love, that, that it is love. And how does this come about? It comes about... Uh, through the work of God in which we comprehend to a greater degree that which is without comprehension, right? That which we cannot comprehend, because that's actually what he says. Uh, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So the, the request here, to boil down what the request is here, it's that we may be able to comprehend the love of Christ is, is the, the boiled down request that he has. The, the idea of, of comprehend, it's used elsewhere in the, I think chiefly in the, the Old Testament, it's used in the book of Joshua, where Joshua, um, where they take over a city, so it means to like grasp or lay hold of. And I like to have the, the understanding that works for me is to grasp. Like if we grasp something in your thinking, you, you get it. You've laid hold of it. It makes sense to you. So that's what he's saying here, that we will comprehend uh, with all the saints the love of Christ. And there's, there's a number of different views here of what it means when he says breadth, length, height, and depth. Uh, if you look at that in the English, it, it is lacking an object as far as we can tell from an English perspective. So what is he actually referring to? Uh, there's a number of different different ways that this is dealt with. I think that the way that he has put this in here, it's just a description of what is the, the further, it's further described in the next, the next phrase, which is, and to know the love of Christ with passes, surpasses knowledge. So this, he's not describing an actual object here by breadth, length, height, and depth. It's not an actual object that he's describing. He's just, um, talking about the the immensity of something, how immense in without measure the love of Christ is, that it surpasses our knowledge. So how is it that we could know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? As I was thinking through this, I think there's really a a few ways. That he that he is uh, that he's talking about here. Uh, I think first the 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 term knowledge there um, it comes from the the word that has to do with more of like an experiential knowledge rather than just like a head knowledge. So I think that that comes into play in what he is saying. But first and foremost, the only place that we learn about the love of Christ is through his word. Uh, we can read passages that 
like come up further on in Ephesians. Uh, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for you as an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. And I didn't put the rest of the verse there, but I will turn over and read it here. Also, uh, the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So we see the, the love of Christ expressed in those, those passages. And there's plenty of passages that we can go to to think about the love of Christ. Uh, and we cannot exhaust it through reading the scriptures. We cannot get to the full depth of reading it through the scriptures. But I think what more he, he, is, he is saying here, I believe that is certainly true that he's saying we know the love of Christ through the scriptures, through studying the scriptures. But being that this is a, this is a passage where he is developing the idea of sanctification, he is developing the idea that through us being conformed to Christ, through us being strengthened by the Spirit so that we walk like Christ, that we become more knowledgeable about the love of Christ as we see it in action in ourselves and others as the Spirit works through us. So it's, I'm not talking about like an experientialism, I'm just talking about that we can see the love of Christ when we see a, another believer express the love of Christ for us, and that gives us insight into the love of Christ. But it's grounded in what the Word says, because we know what the Word says, but we can see it. So I think the, the reason he's using that experiential thing and, and why it's in this text of this progression of growing to Christ-likeness is because the goal is that we walk like Christ, and in walking like Christ, we love one another, and when we love, love one another, we have a picture of the love of Christ, because we can say, all right, this is what the love of Christ says in the Word, and now I see it in action. So, is that, so I'm not talking about like some weird experience thing. I'm talking about we see the love of Christ in action as the Spirit works through us to love as Christ loved. So I think that's what he's driving at. That's how we start to get more into the depths of what his love is because we see it. And I was thinking about, as we go through, I've been going through Luke, um, and we, we consider what, what was being said in Luke about loving our enemies. Now, would we gain more? You know, we know what that says, but what does that look like? You know, if we were in a position where we saw somebody loving their enemy, and we know that's what the Word says, we know that's how you're supposed to live it out, and now we see it lived out, we see, yes, that's what that is. That's what, that's what he's talking about here. That is loving your enemy. That's how Christ loved. You know, so I think that's, that's where he's driving at. So through our lives, through being in one another's lives, we can exhibit the love of Christ and help one another to see what the love of Christ is like. And then... Um, I did try to pare this down to not go too long, but I wanted to do it all as one unit. So we will quickly move on to the next one here. Um, and it, that is um, that we might be filled. So this is in verse 19, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. And to be filled up to the fullness of God is to be godly, to have our character be like the character of God, 
the, you know, the communicable attributes of God, those attributes of God that we in ourselves can exhibit. So if we are to be filled up with God through the working of the Holy Spirit, again, that's a whole progression down through this passage in this prayer, um, that the result is that we be godly, that we be like Christ, that we show forth what God is like, what Jesus is like through our lives, through how we behave. And that is to be filled with God, to be filled up with the fullness of God is to reflect his character, to reflect who he is. And we looked at those problems that we have. We need that strengthening. We need that spirit to work in us because uh, outside of that, we do not do those things. We have to have we have to first be saved. We have to be changed to do those things. But we need the Spirit of God to work in us so that we have a life that reflects the character of God. And, you know, some of the things of what this looks like, what does is, what is the character of God look like reflected in us? Uh, certainly it's love uh, in the context here. Uh, certainly we can think of others, you know, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. All of those things, those are all attributes of God that can be reflected in us so that we can live in a way that is godly. And I was thinking about what what this passage said, and I was thinking about the early part of the book of Acts uh, where it says this, they, they see Peter and John, and they understand that they are uneducated, untrained men, and they have this to say about them. Uh, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So they had lives that reflected uh, the character of God. They were godly men. They knew they were uneducated, but they knew that they had been with Jesus. And then the, really the, the final thing here, and we're, we're really not going to spend any time with it because it's just a, a summation. Uh, Paul prays in this way, and he ends with this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations. So this is a prayer that we can be confident that God will answer because it is a prayer that lines up in accordance with the will of God. And that's why I say this is a prayer that, that Paul has that is for the paramount in the life of believers. Right? We should um, be praying that God will grant one another strength so that we can obey what God's Word says. We need the Spirit to be working within us. We should be praying that we'll be able to comprehend more and more what the love of Christ is, you know, through the study of His Word and through exhibiting in our lives towards one another. And that we be filled with, filled with uh, the fullness of God, which is to, to display those attributes of God uh, that give a picture of what, of what God is like, right? Because we, we see in the life of Jesus, we see the fullness of God, right? It says that in Colossians, that He is the fullness of God. He is deity. We, that's not what this is saying here. We're not going to be that, but we can exhibit those attributes of God that uh, can be communicated to us. So the, the, the four aspects here that He, he deals with to... Uh, to sum up here is that uh, it's a it's our perspective in prayer that we bow with reverence, uh, knowing that if we pray according to His will, that He hears us and He will answer. Uh, that we 
that He might grant to us to be strengthened in the inner man, that He might enable us to comprehend the love of Christ, and that we are filled with the fullness of God. I think just as a side note, do you see how much the uh, the Trinity pops in this passage, right? It's uh, an effort of all of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all working within us to conform us to the image of Christ. That's a wonderful thing. So this is a prayer that God will answer. Uh, he will answer in a way that is abundant, and it is all for His glory. That's how, that's how Paul ends it. So this is, a, this is a prayer that we should be praying for one another. So when you don't know how we ought to pray for one another, or if we're struggling with how do we pray for this person going through these difficulties, uh, we certainly can be praying in this way, that God would work in this way in their lives to work within them, to bring them through that process of sanctification so that they may become more like the Lord Jesus. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the goodness of your word. We thank you for um, just your goodness in our lives that uh, you have condescended to uh, to deal with us. Lord, we are so weak and so frail and selfish and prideful and sinful, and Lord, we need you so desperately, and Lord, you are so good in that... uh, you condescend to, to work with us, to conform us to the image of your Son. We thank you for your great plan of salvation, that uh, you have saved us, made us new, and given us purpose, given us direction, that we should be like your Son. Pray that um, that this would be uh, um, be our prayer, that we would pray in this way. Pray that uh, we would be in one another's lives to to encourage one another and and living out the things of your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.